What a gift and a joy it is to be able to worship together and, as Brother Matt said, to anchor our lives to God's Word and to um, remember that it's His gift to us um, and to be thankful for that Word. Um, I just want to say what a gift it is to be able to worship together with you this morning and to uh, see all of you. Um, it uh, just is a great joy just to hear our voices uh, before the Lord. And um, if you're a guest with us, I just want you to know how grateful we are that um, you would uh, choose to come and worship here. And uh, I expect that perhaps a few of you may be here on the invitation of a friend or um, just because someone has uh, told you about our church, communicated something about our church. And um, depending on where your, your background and where you've come, you might not even be sure about who this Jesus is that we're singing to, but I want you to know that the Lord has brought you here. We trust and we believe so that you might know him, you might have an encounter with him, and that is our great hope and prayer um, is that you would be able to do that this morning. And it's not because of anything that we do or anything that I say, uh, but through the power of God um, that he would meet you and minister to you. And so we're so grateful um, that you would uh, just honor us by joining us in worship this morning. Um, I also want to say just a quick word uh, to all of our covenant partners um, that there is a 9 a.m. service, um, and uh, you have to throw much fewer elbows uh, to get into that service. And so just, just in case you were curious of with, if we had another one, um, our covenant partners, guests, you come to this service all day long. But anybody else, we'll see you next week, 9 a.m. <laughs> yeah, we began reading in Deuteronomy 31, um, because as we turn to Joshua chapter 10, where we're going to focus our attention this morning, um, it's helpful to remember Joshua's background. At the end of Deuteronomy, what Matt read for us is Moses sort of passing the baton to Joshua and saying, you're going to be the one that takes the people into the promised land. I want you just to imagine for a moment that you are Joshua. You have followed Moses all of your life. You're a young man. You are simply at this moment in time, Moses' servant, sort of his helper, second in command a little bit. But Moses has been taking care of everything. He's met with God. You've seen God and Moses connect. And now Moses comes to you and says, be strong and courageous because you are the people, will go with the people into the land that the Lord has sworn to our fathers. I've got to, you're probably better than me, but I'm someone I would be like, I'm not real sure about this, Lord. I would be, there'd be a lot of apprehension, a lot of fear. I would be thinking, I'd, I'd be telling Moses, no, I, I can't do this without you. I can't, I can't, you, you've got to come with me. Surely God got it wrong. Surely you're supposed to be the one that would lead us. And this is why Moses told Joshua, I believe, in verse 8, to be strong and courageous, or backwards in 7 first, be strong and courageous for you shall go with the people. But then in verse 8, it is the Lord who goes before you. It is the Lord who who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Moses tells Joshua, I am not going with you, but here's the good news. This is good news, Joshua. Don't be fearful. Be strong and courageous and remember that it's the Lord who goes with you. Even better than me going with you, even, Josh, it's, it's no help to you if I go with you because the Lord has said I shouldn't. But guess who does go with you? The Lord goes with you, and he will never leave you or forsake you. 
So all that God told Joshua to do, and in the early chapters, if, you've been a, if you haven't been with us over the last couple of months, we've sort of been working our way through the book of Joshua as sort of our practice here at the, this church. All of that strength and courage that Joshua was to muster up, Moses here gives us a picture of where it starts, that God goes with you, Joshua. And as we walk through life, as we've said over and over again, and we're going to look very closely at this morning, it's God's promises to us. It's his faithfulness that we rely on. He is our strength. So let me pray and ask the Lord to help me in that task. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises that you make to us through it. Thank you for the good news of the gospel. It's upon that good news, upon your faithfulness to us that I trust now as I strive to honor you and open up your word for these people that you might be glorified in our hearts together. We might make much of you. So do that, Holy Spirit. I can't do that. Only you can. So I ask for your help. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if we turn to Joshua chapter 10... Picking up from chapter 9 last week where a group of people called the Gibeonites came to the Israelites, came to Joshua and said, we're a people from a far off land, make a covenant with us, we'll become your servants, but that way you don't have to kill us. Rather than kicking up, killing us to remove us from the land, we'll just become your servants. And according to some Old Testament law that even these Gibeonites knew about God's word, Joshua agreed. He said, okay, we'll do that. We'll make a covenant with you, you will become our servants. So here in chapter 10, word about this relationship between the Gibeonites and the Israelites kind of starts to spread throughout the land. And as we pick up in chapter 10, verse 1, we're going to hear about some kings that make an alliance together. As soon as Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and had devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, he feared greatly, because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all of its men, all of its men were warriors." So we have this king that hears about what God has done. It's very interesting, just a few things that this king understands. First of all, he says he hears how Joshua had captured Ai and had devoted it to destruction and how it had done the same to Jericho and its king. So what had spread to this king was not that God had done this, that the God of Israel had delivered these cities into the people's hands, but that a man, Joshua, had done this. So now he evaluates Gibeon. By the way, very interesting. If you remember, if you were with us last week, Gibeonites, they're described here as a mighty city, a city that is made up of warriors. These warriors that now strike fear into five other kings, they thought to themselves, we are no match for God, and so we better submit ourselves under Israelite to become their servants. See, the Gibeonites understood who God was because they had heard about him and they saw, they'd heard the stories. And as a result of their knowledge of who God was, they said, we will not fight. We're going to be killed. We will surely be destroyed like all of the other cities. Now we have this king and he's going to rally a few others that they think, no, they just don't know. It wasn't God who did these things. It was a man, Joshua. But if we rally all together, even though Gibeon is a great city, 
We can come against them, and we'll defeat them if we come together. So this is what he does. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, to Piram, king of Jarmuth, and to Jephiah, king of Lachish, and to Debir, king of Eglon. Don't worry about all those names. It's just five kings. <laughs> Saying, come up to me and help me and let us strike Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. So these five kings, they come together and make an alliance to go attack the Israelites. So Gibeon, the Gibeonites, this people that are now coming under attack, they hear of this army coming for them. And so they respond in verses 6 through 8. This is their response. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua the camp at Gilgal, this is where the Israelites are camped out in another city, saying, do not relax your hand now from your servants. They had made this alliance, this covenant with Israel to become their servants. Don't forget your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. We have the Gibeonites that are described as a great city, a powerful city with only fighting men. And then yet, when these five kings come against them, they're struck with fear, and they call out to Israel, to Joshua, and say, come help us. Because we know we stand no chance against these people. Only if you, and ultimately only if your God comes to protect us, will we be saved. This is what they understand. So they ask. And Joshua then responds. So Joshua, in verse 7, went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, this is the Israelites now, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So God says to Joshua, go and attack and trust that not one of them will stand before you. Now here's something I want us to see as we think about what this teaches us about God and how we apply that to our lives. Do you remember the Gibeonites? They deceived Israel, right? And what was Joshua's mistake if we looked back at chapter 9? The problem that Joshua had, the mistake that he made, was he did not seek the Lord. He didn't ask, the, ask God for counsel on how he should relate to the Gibeonites. So they come to him. They tell him we're a people from far off. And that sort of makes sense. They look like they're from far off with what we see with our eyes. So as a result, sure, we'll make a covenant with you. You'll be our servants. We needed a few more helpers. So come on. We'll team up. But that was a mistake. That was not something that ultimately God had intended to do. God's sovereignty, man's response, and all of these things get twisted up, and it's kind of like, I'm not sure how this all works, Lord, but what we do know is that Joshua did what was right just to his eyes, and he did not respond or did not operate out of faith and out of obedience in submission to the Lord's counsel when he made this covenant with Gibeon. And yet, here we see God defending Israel, coming to their aid helping them, ultimately promising as he did, not one man will stand. God says to Joshua, do not fear them for what I have given them. That word is already, by the way. This isn't a future tense. 
Not in the language. This is, I have given them. They are already yours. They will not stand against you because I will fulfill my promises to you. My guess is, is that as we've walked through life, as you've walked through life, there's mistakes that you have made in your life. There are things that you have done that you look back on now and you would say that you have regret over those things. Taking steps of action without seeking the counsel of the Lord. Whatever those things might be. And you think to yourself, because this is the human response, is I've just got to deal with those things. They're my problems to deal with. And we might think to ourselves that God is the same way that we would be with other people. You ever had that friend that did something dumb? And you just said, sorry about you. You, you messed that up. That's not my problem. Parents, your teenagers, done something a little bit kind of out of line. And I told you all not to do that. I told you that wasn't going to go well for you. So go on. You figure it out. Don't we think that's sometimes how God responds to us? We make a mistake, we, step, we, we don't live in faith, or, or, or we don't even seek the Lord's counsel on something, and then we say to ourselves, yeah, God, is, he's going to just forget me, he's going to, he doesn't care about this problem, he's not even aware of this problem, if he is aware about this problem, he's like me, because our pride, we make ourselves to be like God, rather than trying to understand that we are completely other than God. But that's not how God responds. So Christians... We can get the t-shirt that says no regrets. Not because we do everything right. Not because we're always in the, never in the wrong. Not because we don't make mistakes or any of those things. But because we know that our God does not hold those things against us and does not condemn us. And when we make a mistake or we make an error, we can run to God actually in repentance and turn from those things knowing that he loves us unconditionally. This is what he does for Joshua. You made a covenant. Now you're going to uphold that covenant. And he is doing it. Joshua is being obedient to the covenant that he made. And as a result, God comes to his aid. He doesn't hold that mistake against him. God does not hold your mistakes against you. He is a long-suffering God. That's what is described about him in the New Testament often. He is patient. He will not leave or forsake you. God's faithfulness is never reduced by our weakness or our mistakes. God is always faithful because it's who he is. It's who he is. It's in his nature to be faithful. What an amazing thing to know that faithfulness is a defining point of him. Something that cannot be changed about him. And nothing we do can ever change that. So, God comes to the aid of the people He comes to deliver them. He says that I have given them into your hands and not a man shall stand before you. And so in response to that, just as it has just happened over and over and over again in our story, God makes a promise to his people, makes a promise to Joshua, tells him who he is, what he has done, what he will do. And in response to that, Joshua then acts in faithful obedience. So in verse 9, so Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched all up all night from Gilgal, 
And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon, and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon, and struck them as far as Azekah and Makeda. And as they fled before Israel while they were going down to the ascent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw down, the lar- threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. This is the one time in Scripture that I know of that a hailstorm outdid a Texas hailstorm. <laughs> God rains down stones from heaven to destroy the enemies. It's an amazing thing. These five great kings and all of their armies are chased out of Israel. Notice they go back to where they're coming from and the people, the warriors go after them. One of the things that I see here is look at Joshua's obedience. He did what he could. He marches all night up from Gilgal and he immediately in response because God had told him to do this, had promised him that he would give the people into their hands. They would not survive it. And so he goes up against them and he goes and it says that he suddenly attacks He comes upon them suddenly. But here's the amazing thing. Joshua, all he does is march through the night, no pause, no warning, not giving them any time to hear that they're coming, attacks them suddenly, and then God takes over. Just a little bit, a small step of obedience by Joshua, responding to what God has already done. And I love how the scripture records it. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Just in case you thought for a moment, we thought, or that it might be preserved in history, that Joshua, because remember, these five kings, they thought it was Joshua that that was going to be the one who had fought against these people. They didn't realize that it was the God of Israel that had stood against them, had come against them. And so here, the scripture reminds us that it is God who is the one who delivered the victory. All that God did. You know, we hear the promise of God, and it helps us to step out in faith. It helps us to understand who we are called to be. And we try to do that. We try to live like that, right? That's the the calling of the believer is to hear who God is, hear his word, understand his promises to us. Now as New Testament Christians to know what Christ has done on our behalf and to step out and live in obedience And in response to that, to live with faith. But you know, one of the things that gets in the way, same thing that often gets in our way, it's our pride. One of the great errors of pride, if you want to understand how it can sort of manifest itself, is that we begin to think that we have equal power to God. Just like the Amorite kings thought that it was a human enemy that they had, It was Joshua and his people, and that's why they thought, surely we're strong enough to oppose him. We often think to ourselves that we can solve our own problems. We make ourselves to be of equal or sometimes even greater power than God. That is what pride does to us. Why else? You want to know a test? Why else would we take so much upon ourselves? My wife loves this sermon. She gets to hear me say, we can just say no. I don't do that well. I don't say no very well. Yes, 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 I can do it, I can do it, we can do that for sure, we'll show up, we'll be there. 
Sometimes we need to say no. But even deeper than that, we need to realize that it's not our responsibility. God did not give Joshua the responsibility for defending the people or killing the Amorite kings. He says, I will give them into your hands. I will do it. I just need you to live and act in obedience. I'll give you a picture of what this looks like for my own life. So as a pastor, you might understand that I believe wholeheartedly in this word. I believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, first because he transformed my life, and then I have been blessed and honored to see him work in so many other people's lives. Even him work to see him build this church. It's him who does all of this. I have the privilege of just sort of watching what God does. But if I thought for a moment that it was my responsibility, and this can often happen, to ensure that each and every one of you believed that this was God's word, that you believed the gospel, that you understood who Jesus was. Each and every one of you, plus all of the folks in the nine o'clock service, plus all of you that are watching online, which gives me lots of anxiety, by the way. (laughs) Every single person that can hear my voice I could be tempted to think that it's, if I can't convince them, if I don't you know, do the right things, it's my responsibility to ensure that your eternal life is at stake and it's in some ways in my hands to convince you of that. Would I ever sleep if I actually believed that? If I believed what I believe and that was my responsibility because of the role God has placed me in, I could never rest. I would be at your door always. Don't worry, I don't believe that. But that is what the the, the natural response should be if I thought that it was my responsibility to ensure that you believe. But no, it's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to open God's word before you, to testify to his work, and to let God's word, which is the only thing that truly transforms life, let God's word do the work, as we often say. That's why in this church, we anchor ourselves to this book, because it's not about a man other than the man Christ Jesus. And this book is all about him. It's not my responsibility. It's the Lord who will reveal himself to you, who will open up your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit to believe what I am telling you and testifying and what others in this church family surround you with, the testimony of what he has done. He is the one who will do it. Just as he threw the people into confusion, just as he would bring down hailstorms, and as we're re- going to read in a moment, just as he would cause the sun to stand still, whatever he has to do in order to accomplish his purposes, he will do, and it's not my responsibility to take care of everything because he's God and I'm not. He's God, you are not, we are not. He hasn't commanded you to change the world. He has commanded you to be faithful and obedient. There's two commands that Jesus gave us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the commands that he's given you. Now, as we do that, lives are transformed, and this body is an evidence of that, but it's not my responsibility to make that happen. The Lord does it. In faith, we believe that. He hasn't commanded you to atone for every sin that you see in the world, as if that was even possible, (laughs) and it's not. As we, though, passionately pursue the Lord, As we talked about on our ski trip this weekend from Colossians 3, as we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, 
which Dave taught us means that it overflows out of us. The word is what does the work again. Those who live near us, who are involved in our lives as friends, neighbors, co-workers, family members, sons and daughters, they see Christ in us. They see what God is doing in us. And that is what brings about God's purposes for the world. Rest in what he's commanded you to do. Two profound and yet rather simple things. Let him do the things that he does and let the rest of it go. Trust him and have faith. How much faith did Joshua have to believe that God would do what he said he would do? We see that as he prays, picking up in verse 12 and 13. The Amorite kings are on the run. Joshua sees hailstones raining down, but he understands that God's purposes is to wipe out these Amorite kings and all of the evil that they have pervaded on the world so that God's people could take possession of this land. And so he realizes we need more time. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day. By the way, if you've ever been curious about how to pray, you just heard a perfect descriptor. Speak to the Lord. It's nothing fancy. There's no right or wrong words. Speak to the Lord. Speak to the Lord in faith. Speak to the Lord ready to hear. Lord, I need help. Lord, I can't seem to believe. Help me believe. Help my unbelief as we often sing. Joshua speaks to the Lord in the day. When the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Sun stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. Now it seems a little confusing here. It seems as if maybe Joshua is saying this to the sun, but we know when he says he speaks this to the Lord, this is his prayer to the Lord. Lord, make the sun stand still at Gibeon and the moon of the valley of Ajalon. Can you imagine praying a prayer like that? Lord, stop the sun from moving. And it says in verse 13, And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Joshua had enough faith to believe that God would do what he said he would do. Because God had promised him to be strong and courageous or told him to be strong and courageous in response to the promise that he would never leave or forsake him. Moses had told him that. The Lord had told him that over and over and over again. Joshua, I am with you always. Go and do what I tell you to do. Just step, keep moving forward. Have faith, have faith, have faith. And in that faith, he prayed. And he said, Lord, make the sun stand still. I don't know what... Your situation is. I can't possibly know every detail of everyone's lives, the challenges that you are facing today, the things that you walked in here this morning feeling as if you have no understanding as how God can fix, how God could redeem, how God could handle this situation. You may have come here hoping maybe if I just came and I meet with God, then perhaps this issue in my life, he would tell me how to fix it or how to resolve it. I don't know what that detail might be, but what I do know is that he made the sun stand still once upon a time because a man asked for him to do that so that he could fulfill his purposes. And in faith, 
You can ask the Lord, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do this, but I believe that you can. I trust that you can. And in faith, we ask and we pray. Why do we not pray, friends? Isn't it rooted in the fact that we don't really believe that the God of the universe actually hears us and responds? Isn't it because we've become so busy and consumed, perhaps in trying to solve all of the world's problems, that we have forgotten how to seek the Lord and trusted, like Joshua, that if we seek the Lord and ask him to intervene, ask him to move, that he will do it? It's an amazing thing. And I will just testify to you now, I've said this many times in our church, I don't claim to understand God. That's one of the things that is beautiful I wouldn't worship a God that I could put in a box and I could understand because I'm a pretty not that bright. <laughs> even that sentence, all the English teachers are like, I don't even know what he did there. <laughs> if I could understand God, you would not want to worship him. But because he's much bigger than I am and I can't understand him, here's what I do know to be true, though. In his sovereignty, he has said in his word that he moves and responds to accomplish his perfect plans for the world as I ask him to do it. Where I'm involved in that, how he does that, I don't know. I don't understand. But what I do know is that I ask the Lord to do things, things that he has already decided to do, Things that he has already purposed to do, just like he had said of the people of Joshua, I have already given them into your hands. And Joshua then prays, knowing that he has already said, I'll give them into your hands, and ask the Lord to move. We need to pray so much more, brothers and sisters. We need to seek the Lord and trust and have enough faith to believe that he hears us. There is power in prayer. Joshua prayed, and asked God to make the sun stand still. The greater Joshua, Jesus himself, prayed a prayer, a much more powerful prayer. Perhaps we would even say a much more bold prayer than Joshua's prayer. And that prayer was for you and for me. It was for those of you that are here this morning who came and said, Maybe if I just go to this place, I'll hear something from God that I need to hear that will help me with the pain that I'm dealing with, with the suffering that I've been walking through, with the challenges that I'm facing. This is Jesus' prayer for you and for me from John chapter 17. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Before the world was created, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit dwelt in perfect harmony. And before he ever created the world, God saw you who would be given to Christ through what he would go and do on the cross. And God, Jesus is saying to God the Father, a prayer for me, Lord, let them be with me as I am with you. God answered Joshua's prayer to make the sun stand still. And God has surely and will surely answer Jesus' prayer for you and for me that we will be with him. And we will be with him always. What a gift 
to know that God hears our prayer, answers our prayer, and in the same way that he intervened here by bringing hailstones, by causing the sun to stand still, he intervened in our life when he sent Jesus to go to the cross, to atone for all of our sins, to lay down his life so that a righteous and holy God might be able to look at us and no longer see us as condemned people living in our sin, but see us as it describes us as the righteousness of God. That is how God sees you, friend. If you have put your faith in him, he sees you as his own righteousness. And you know why he sees you as his own righteousness? In response to what Jesus prayed for you and for me, that we might be with him He picks up in verse 25. Oh, righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know you that you have sent me. He brought you here that you might know him. that You might hear from him. He's intervened. And here in this story, because of time, I've got to skip ahead. We see a picture of what Christ has done. Jump over to verse 22 of chapter 10 in Joshua. The five Amorite kings... They've done all this stuff. All of the people have been killed, but the kings themselves, now they flee. They go to run and hide from the Israelites, and they find a cave, and they go and hide in that cave. They seal it up, hoping that the Israelites will just kind of forget about them. Not sure what their plan was there. Wasn't a very good one. Verse 22, Joshua comes and finds them in the cave, and he says, Open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me from the cave. And they did so, and they brought those five kings out to him from the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. And when they brought those kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, come near and put your feet on the necks of these kings. Every enemy of God was destroyed. Every enemy person who stood against God was killed in that moment. Put your feet on their necks. If you were with us last week as we looked at Joshua chapter 9 and the deception that was involved there, you might remember we looked at Genesis chapter 3.15. I taught you that big word, proto-evangelium, the first announcement of good news. And what was that promise? What was the gospel message all the way back in the book of Genesis, the beginning of our Bible? God made a promise to Eve, made a promise to all mankind that his heel, the one he would send after, his heel would crush the head. All of God's enemies will be, would be destroyed. Christ came. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He laid down his life for you and for me. Three days later, displaying the power that he had, the power of his love, he took his life up again. And just as Joshua and his people killed those five kings, those enemies of God, Christ, once and for all, crushed the head of the enemy. He has been destroyed. He has no power over us. Yes, he ruled this world. There's brokenness. We live in that already but not yet time. But Jesus' prayer for you will be answered. Because he did what he did on the cross all those many years ago. Because he has given us the power of his spirit to believe that that word is true. 
we can know we will surely be with him. Nothing to do with us. We didn't fight the battle. We didn't destroy the enemies. We didn't do anything. All we did was receive God's grace and his mercy, his unbelievable love for you. We're gonna sing an old hymn that calls, calls us to marvel at what Christ has done, to marvel at God. As we sing this song, I just wanna invite you to, perhaps before you even stand up, I'm not gonna tell you to stand, so just know. Matt did that plenty, we'll just kinda of do this on our own. But as they begin to sing, the worship team begins to lead us. I wanna just ask you, consider these three things. Maybe ask the Lord, Lord, give me enough faith to believe that God will do what he said that he would do, that he will never leave or forsake me. Maybe you've had a lot of trouble. Again, I don't know what you're walking through. I care about it. We care about it a lot. God cares about it a lot. I don't know the details though, but ask the Lord, Lord, help me to remember that you are aware and give me enough faith to believe that you won't ever leave or forsake me. Maybe you need to ask the Lord to give you enough faith to help you pray a prayer like Joshua prayed that, Lord, make the sun stand still. And I don't know what sun standing still would be for you, but there's something that Everything in the world, even the great scientists of the world would say that's not possible that that ever happened or could happen. There's no way that relationship can be healed, can be fixed. There's no way that you can overcome this debt. There's no way that you can get in the way of this situation or stop whatever might be coming. Just ask the Lord, give me enough faith to believe so that I could pray to you and just ask you for help. You haven't even asked the Lord for help. You've just been sort of sitting in this moment of fear and doubt and anxiety and I understand that I've been there sometimes though we just need to ask God Lord help me to believe that I can pray and that you'll hear me some of you whether you've been in this church for eight years almost or you're here for the very first time you've never really believed with faith that God loves you unconditionally that God sent his son to die for you. You've never believed that you were the one that Jesus was speaking about when he says that they might be with me. You've been trying to push the Lord off. So Holy Spirit, we're asking the Holy Spirit to move. I'm asking them to move in your heart to convince you to have the faith to believe that God does love you that much. That his unconditional mercy and grace are for you this morning. So let's marvel together at what God has already done, what God has already said, what he already knows, and just in prayer, ask the Lord, whatever it is that you need help, what, what do you need more faith to believe in? Ask him for that as the worship team leads us. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we hope to see you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.